Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Salt Mine. This is an unplanned off-season episode number 14. We'll call it still season one, where there has been some NACL news. There's been a lot of NACL discourse, and so we figured we would hop on and talk about it a little bit. I'm Gordo. I'm joined by Nyarko and TDS, as always. Welcome back on the off-season Boys, it has been a about a month since we recorded our relegation tournament episode, and a lot has happened since then. Uh, the NACL has announced that, oh, well, I guess Riot and the LCS have announced that the LCS orgs will no longer be required to field NACL teams, uh, and with that comes some other changes. There will. Uh, now be relegations for everybody in NACL. Uh, it'll be played on the Chicago server. There's going to be some options for broadcast integration for orgs to promote themselves. Uh, and there's going to be some kind of international tournament between NA, Brazil, and Latin America Tier 2. Um, all of those are very, very minor distractions from the fact that NA orgs are no longer going to be required to field NACL teams, and therefore the requirements to pay them LCS minimum are going to supposedly drop along with it. So I want to get us all on here, have a little discussion about the show going forward and the scene more broadly, uh, given these facts. I've been talking for a long time straight, so I I'm going to I'm gonna give Nyarko and TDS a chance to kind of just weigh in at a high level here, and we'll get into some specific topics. Well, Gordo, to lead off, I think that we should first touch upon the future of this show because it's the thing that is most within our control, you know. We got some stream assets coming down the line. We got a lot on the horizon, and I don't think our plans are going to be interrupted a whole lot no matter how the NACL shifts. We're still going to be here looking at a season-oriented format where we're going to come back. We're going to talk about whatever competition comes our way and that we are able to talk about, we're able to watch the streams of. And so even if we do get these drastic shifts down the pipeline and NACL is massively altered, I think that we're going to be here and still talking about this region that we love and this academy uh environment that we love and if not latin america is just close by so we can technically look over there in just <laughs> yeah. in case it happens non-zero chance that the salt mine within the next two years pivots to being a latin america centered league of legends podcast but yeah with that said we can call ourselves the south mine as in south america <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy. Yeah, so, um, yeah, same show. Uh, this is probably our last audio-only episode, so that's something to get hyped about. We'll probably be doing some video assets, maybe stream some stuff uh, in the next season. Um, maybe with a little bit more somber of a tone. I honestly, I have no idea what the tone of this show is going to become over this next season. So we're gonna, I I'm gonna get right into, I'm gonna give some backstory, right? And this backstory is going to be that I downloaded League of Legends at 13 years old in 2011, and I am almost 26 yeah. now. Uh, so I don't know how to be an adult without North American League of Legends, uh, and that is going to color a lot of my opinions. So that's that's just I'm just going to preface this up at the start. Like I'm uh, I, I'm nowhere near vain enough. 
uh, to be ignorant of the fact that this facts will bias me and my opinions uh, as we get into the discussion of the North American scene more broadly. Um, and that also means that I have no idea what I'm going to be like two months after learning this news. So maybe I'm going to be real somber on this show going forward as I discuss the last generation of NA talent. Uh, maybe I'm just going to like fully swap and be like really overwhelmingly pumped on every player out of some form of desperation. I don't know yet. I really don't. So we'll all find out together. You know, it's going to be a weird shift given that I feel I was always the most somber in the last season by virtue of being a CLG faith fan. They're gone now alongside CLG as a whole, which does get me very sad. But at the same time, I'm able to now put my fandom upon what are probably going to be better performing teams. You know, I'm coming in as probably the main Maryville University supporter, as long as they keep their team about them, which I think is going to lead us on a tangent uh, to work through in the future in terms of like how collegiate is now going to be oriented versus other pathways towards pro or at least competitive League of Legends as a whole. But Gordo, I do want to say, I think we're all right there with you. It took me a long time to get into League. I only started playing in like late 2020, early 2021. And therefore, I may not have the childhood that has been defined by the sport that you have. But certainly my time in grad school and post-grad school and therefore my birth into the adult world has all been colored immensely by League of Legends. And I absolutely adore everything about this esport in this world. So um, if things do go belly up, I'm going to be heartbroken. But at the same time... We are kind of into this position where the people who care the most about NACL, the people who are willing to talk about it, putting themselves on the line on Twitter and whatnot, are people who are going to be perpetually passionate about anything to come out of this region to a degree. And while we may bemoan, you know, all of the shifts and downgrades that may lead us to what is a reduced form of NA talent and NA performance, I think that we're still going to be applauding all of those people who continue to bear the flag of our region going forward. I guess I'm the one in the middle because I... I started playing in 2015 so technically not the the earliest but not the latest player in the game either and i'm also not from na so i'm like i'm indifferent in in this aspect like i love any talent and obviously trying to to be a part of the na league of legends scene is always great uh so yeah like being a part of the na community is something that i'm trying to do so obviously i care about what goes on here and i'm just like I'm not the most negative, neither the most optimist on what's happening because I, I, I feel that, like I mentioned this previously whenever we talked about the NCL and things like that, but I thought this was just a normal transition that was going to eventually happen because the way that, that I think the league ecosystem in general has been setting up, but in, also the esports ecosystem is honestly really bad. Like they've been trying uh, and I've I can make a perfect parallel here with football and other sports, not only football, because technically, like, I'll, first with football, it started in 1917 to today. It's 100 years, essentially, to be able to set up the league ecosystem and the leagues that have been played. I think NFL, NBA were since the 50s, if I'm not wrong on that, yeah, yeah. maybe even earlier than that. Yeah. So the esports ecosystem has been trying to make way too big steps for something that has birdie life you have to take the baby steps and they've been trying to go over it if i were to compare as well to something in real world it feels like female football uh, female football female soccer trying to get to the same point of the rest of the of the male football 
without really taking the steps that need to be. And they are doing an amazing job, but they are trying to force their way too much and they need to first take the normal steps to be able to accommodate themselves in the ecosystem. And I think that that's the mistake that esports is making. They are trying to make too many big steps without really accommodating their, themselves. You can kind of just look at the NACL as the canary in the coal mine, and people actually look at the LCS as a whole as a canary in the coal mine regarding the orientation of league esports right now, TDS. And I think you're touching upon a point that a lot of us have been feeling during what a lot of people consider to be a winter or recession for esports as a whole, which is just that we sit here, we see these organizations get propelled by venture capital, speculative investment sponsorships. And when the bottom falls out from those things and there's just no ROI, we have to downsize. And unfortunately it feels like the trickle down has been such that some of the first bastions of the community to go are the ones that cater to amateur talent and the actual pathway to pro, because to a degree, there is some amount of, you know, name recognition and value to the viewership that the LCS has, you know, you have these star players that have been brought up maybe in NA for the majority of their career, right? Bjergsen, Jensen, you debate over whether or not they're actually imports, right? Um, but the fact of the matter is, you might as well just keep those people around, especially if there is willpower from the likes of Doublelift to unretire and continue to compete, right? Um, and it kind of feels like we've hit a roadblock getting the same level of name recognition and renown for new players coming in via NACL, via Academy Proving Grounds before this. Um, and I think that that is wrongheaded. I think that the changes we've been seeing so far are such that we are providing a little bit of a safety net for the LCS orgs in the short term. But long term, who knows? As Gordo was saying, maybe we have to just applaud and pray that we still get talent coming through, and therefore we have to advocate behind literally every single person that wants to put their career and, in many cases, their future on the line, at least in the short term, to try to go pro in league, which, in at least in A, feels like more and more of a risky uh, approach to, especially your early adulthood. Yeah, so I I'm going to pull up a point that I was going to talk about way later in the show, just because it feels appropriate here. Um, and also, I just want to say at the start, right, like, if I assume anybody listening to this show has already been a part of the discourse um, you know, I, I think we all have pretty standard, normal opinions on things like, hey, everybody losing their job with two weeks notice is bad, and Riot lying to the Players Association about when these moves were coming is bad, and if we are going to make this change, we should have waited until 2024, that would be better. Like, I, I think these are opinions that, like, everybody with a brain in NA the NA ecosystem has uh if one of you doesn't have that opinion I guess you can uh fight me now um but I feel like it's just not worth going over you know obviously our hearts are with the players they're the biggest victims here and the staff who are getting cut off um you know I I think we're gonna give them a quick shout out here and then not belabor the same points everybody else has made a million times already um beyond that um but yeah, that's obviously a shitty situation and is going to disrupt a lot of lives uh, for the next season. If you want to fight Gordo, make sure to do it through Twitter, specifically adding the Saltmine pod, because I think we need to get back on track, get back in the algorithm on that website, especially with all the weird changes going through. So that's where you should find us, not maybe here and now while we're recording, you know? Yeah, I gotta, I gotta start... I need to start getting into fights on the Salt Mine Twitter because Elon's going to deactivate <laughs> our account if we don't log in every 30 days now. Oh, wow. So I need a way to keep that shit active while we're on break. So please, please do. Well, technically, we could just go into uh, onto fights with I will Tencent and China within, 
and that, that can help us out really really well <laughs> i honestly love those nicknames that the fans just give out for both of them but going back into the NS na discourse i also like i'm just surprised with how and i will just straight up and come out with it like how dumb the the upper echelon of, of any like orcs and any executives manage out the idea of of getting talent because it feels like they are trying to play it off as they can re they cannot find talent because it's really hard to do it but you have to foster the talent to be able to to pull it up and it's something that i think in the na ecosystem works out like with the the college the college system kind of takes care of that by being able to provide the opportunities for the players but also develop their talent but since League of Legends is a much more open esport or sport in that sense that you can start earlier, you have to develop the talent by yourself, by the by the virtue of the infrastructure of the teams doing it. But they don't understand that they have to do that. They have to do the dirty work for that to happen. And they are not trying to take the chance on the one in a million player that may turn out to be good because they simply are not willing to go the extra mile for that. The question is, though, TDS, do they actually have to do the dirty work? Because they have. I'm sure that if we didn't just shrink the NACL by virtue of some of these LCS organizations leaving, um, but rather there's just open season. All of a sudden you have another qualification set and a few new amateur teams come in and they bolster back up to the 16 roster slot uh, that we had in the first season of the NACL, right? Um you still therefore have a big pool of talent that LCS holders can then vie for, offer contracts to, and pull from. And at the end of the day, as long as the LCS has given up on ambitions of international success, who cares what the power level of the people coming into these LCS organizations is, are? As long as you, A, get all the imports that you can, and I'm sure that they continue to advocate for, you know, shifting imports and whatnot, making sure they can get more on a team. But outside of that, as long as just just competing relative to other LCS orcs who are drawing from the same talent pool, it doesn't matter if LCS or, uh, excuse me, NA talent craters to a degree, because it's just relative to everybody else for success coming out at the top of the NA rather than doing anything at MSI or beyond. But the big problem here, or at least to what I see it, is that even if you end up exporting the biggest talent pool, you're still not actually trying to do the job. Like, they either, A, bring a talent that doesn't care and doesn't really need to, to, to try the extra mile, so it's not going to work out in any way. Or, B, they go the berserker route, try to get a really good prospect that it's looking to shine, but they still do a half, uh, a half big job and fail because they don't actually try to exploit the talent in the best way possible. They are just trying to do 50 uh, half and half 50 50 of what they actually could be doing for the talent to develop but the issue is that they don't even try with their own talent why would it work with another talent that is much better than their own talent it's like you have the big diamond in the rough in your own country it's a one in a million chance by the way they don't understand that the best players are one in a million one in five million kind of players that come really really well but you have to give the time for them to develop and the right methods to try and make them work out like and that's an example that I always bring with the players that are brought up to be sell to, to the bigger clubs and things like that in football. They have to go through countless players. And I mean, when I say countless, it's multiple multitudes of players before they find one that has small chance, but you provide the resources and the right track towards them becoming the better players. And in an A, it seems like there's simply not enough attention onto that because either... The college, the college system is the one that is in charge of that in other sports, 
or they simply don't care enough about trying to do that and they just go by a half-baked method of just bringing someone that maybe will work out without really trying to put effort in anything. So, and this kind of, this is the point I was going to try to make earlier and I distracted myself by talking about everybody losing their jobs and getting sad. Um, is I think, a, I see a lot of discussion going on about the economics of this, right? Um, and a point that I see getting brought up a lot is like NACL were overpaid, NACL is expensive to run, you know, like NACL players got a lot more money uh, making LCS minimum than dev league players make in the LDL or the LCKCL or the ERLs. Um, and that's true. Um, and a lot of arguments that it should be more like minor league baseball or G league basketball, or, you know, competing on the PGA or trying to get onto the PGA tour, stuff like that. Um, where players make below a living wage and are generally expected to subsidize themselves some other way. Um, and I think that the detail that is missing there that really makes them come at this from the wrong perspective, and it gets at this import thing that Nyarko was talking about, right, is the difference between an LCKCL player and an LDL player and an ERL player and a minor league baseball player and a G League basketball player and a golfer trying to make it onto the PGA Tour is all of those people have every reason to believe that if they are the best players at their position at their level, they will move up and they will be able to make a career at that point. I think NACL players in today's ecosystem have reason to believe the opposite. And I think that's what the issue really becomes. I mean, I made a spicy tweet shortly after this news came out that all right, drop the NACL. If you have to drop the NACL and stop paying people, that's fine. But then you need to cut off imports because there needs to be a reliable path for the best players in the region to go pro. And as of right now, there are 22 domestic players out of 50 in the LCS this split, uh, potentially less in the future if those import changes come through. And it's not go you cannot both have it both ways right you cannot be paying tier two players breadcrumbs and only promote one player at a position every other year because then the the pipeline is too stymied at that point i think it's going to cause people to exit the system wholesale the way that you know, Copy now has, right? I think Copy's the perfect example there. Copy has now retired at age 20 after doing great in Academy for five splits. And in that Maybe time, there have been like three North American mids promoted, right? It's been Jojo Pune, Palafox, Ablaze Olive have been the only North American mids given like actual starting spots at the beginning of the season. Um, and it's just, the rate is too low the likelihood of success, even while doing well, is so low that I think you're going to just lose out on the pipeline right there, regardless of resources being put in. Because I think you could get some amount there on drive alone as long as the opportunity to actually make it exists. And I think right now, LCS orgs have not given those opportunities. And so if we're going to cut out the NACL salaries... We need to find a way to increase the number of salaried North American players in the ecosystem elsewhere, which would be the LCS. I think that's a good point. I think that the orientation of 
league and the way that the LCS uses its rosters is such that vertical movement is always going to be difficult. I think it is more difficult or at least the rate is such that it is less incentivizing to players than the promotion rates you see for something like minor league baseball, where by virtue of there being massive teams that need backups on backups, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, there's some amount of vertical movement, if not pretty clear pathways to being lifted up to the next level. Um, and that doesn't even necessarily have to come just straight from ability, although ability is a big part of it, but also being there at the right place at the right time to come into a place for an injury, something like that is also very important, right? And the bottleneck, as you articulated, Gordo, being further reduced by this constant advocacy for an increase in imports, I think, hits the nail right on the head. Something has to change, but at the same time, what can we do besides give this prescriptive statement that something ought change when we do not have the money, right? And from the bottom up, we've very rarely seen advocacy work. The LCS Players Association is going hard on Twitter right now, and I just don't know the extent to which that's going to be able to do anything. I think we have to look at what ought we advise up-and-coming NA players to do right now. And for me, I think it becomes actually become the import, right? You got to look elsewhere, look at LLA, look at CBLOL, look at the ERL, something like that. Yeah, well, I, and I mean, I think this is a plea to like to riot more so than anything and to, like, <laughs> to the Players Association as far as the direction they're taking their proposals, right? Because, you know, if we don't, if we don't have the money, we don't have the money. And I know everybody loves to clown on, oh, your training centers are so expensive and all that stuff, but whatever. If they don't have the money, they don't have the money. But you could have gotten copy for what you're going to pay quid. You could have probably gotten copy for what you're going to pay Ruby. You could have gotten copy for what you're going to pay Balulu. And you don't get him. You have gotten those players instead. And I think that is almost a bigger problem than losing these salaried positions in the NACL. And it's a problem that was here even before those changes. It's that you can be the best domestic talent and not get an opportunity. While we're pleading to Riot, can we also just ask for them to put CeeLo back on the LCS broadcast rather than put it out on Battlefy with very little in the way of publicization, not only for my own ego, right? Obviously me casting it, I wanted to, you know, be featured uh, for a larger viewer base, but you know, as much as we're talking about cheap ways for us to build up amateur talent or demonstrate the viability of alternate pathways to professional or competitive play at the very least, I'm sure I'm going to talk more about CLL in a little bit here, but guys feature CLL, man, what was going on this season? I'm going to just go out and say congrats on that, Nierko. Oh, thank um, you. I'm getting the chance for the CLO. Hopefully <laughs> in the future we can join you. And I'm thinking, uh, I was thinking about a th uh, something with the economics as well. The fact that I think you, like, considering how salaries work as well, I think it's easier to also pay the players in, in Asia and Latin America and Europe because of the way that obviously living costs and all of those things work. Mm -hmm. So probably it's much it's much cheaper to play. Uh, well, I think they pay very le very little to LDL and LCK play and LC yeah. and LCKCL players anyway. But it, it's still the same thing that I was thinking with Latin American players. Like you can pay one fifth of what a, an an LCS player gains because living conditions here are more cheaper, are much cheaper. So you can kind of get by with way less money than if you were on the North American side. I still think that there's ways to go around that. Like, 
I obviously don't know how salaries work in, in the United States and things like that, but I do know that Los Angeles is one of the pricier cities to live in, so you can kind of play around, and they are trying to do that with the Chicago thing, so I'm, I think there's ways to work around that fact. Yeah, I think, I mean, I've heard reports that every team is probably going to go remote, and then, yeah, you can live wherever. You probably even want to, now that NACL is all on Chicago, you probably want to live closer to the Midwest rather than in L.A., um, and you know, you, it doesn't have to be Chicago, right? I mean, you know, yeah. you could throw your team in Missouri and, you know, probably make, uh, or at least reduce our living costs quite a bit. Um, you know, pick, pick your, pick your Midwestern state of choice. Uh, as long as you've got internet connection, you can get your team a house and probably actually be a lot more successful, even on wages, like, uh, what Cincinnati fear was making, uh, with their, you know, 1200 a month or whatever it was. It, which, by the way, yeah. I do want to say, I've I've publicly, on this show and others, stated the Cincinnati fear uh, salaries, by the way, as being, like, in, indicative of what other NACL teams are making. I have kind of been reached out privately since, the, too privately since then. Uh, apparently, some of the other teams are paying much more than that, actually, and Cincinnati fear was the lowest of the uh, amateur organizations. Um Obviously not going to source okay. that, but I, I have heard that other orgs are making even more than Cincinnati Fear. So, you know, if, if your wild cards and your AOEs can afford more than 1200 a month, then, you know, I think there is at least hope for sustainability for some of these orgs outside of the LCS ones to be able to support these teams, especially living outside of LA. Yeah, not going to lie, I'm kind of glad that was the case. And just to quickly finish, because I think that I also now thinking about it a bit with with the LPL and LCKCL once again uh, point with the economics. Not only do I think their living conditions the conditions are cheaper, but I also think that they pro that thanks to the fact that they have successful teams in in the upper part and they can actually play off that. Like their living conditions are just pretty much paid by the team with the facilities and the like, right? So. The the sal like the salaries are the 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 part that the players think about less because everything is being just uh, played out by the team like the team as a whole just pretty much handles everything and the salary is really the last thing that players think about instead of just trying to become better which goes to the point that if you have the expectation that you can go up then really your the rest of the things being handled and your expectation is that you can go up and you can then it's really easy to try and just focus on being the pro player that they want to be in the at least in the asian side and i think in the, in the european side they already were kind of committed to that kind of style and i think that goes back again into the fact that they play a sport that is pretty similar in the way that they go up so the way that it works benefits them a lot and i think that that already kind of gives them the mindset that they can succeed if they try and it has good examples in that yeah i i think yeah i mean the the report i got was i know at least one other team was paying pretty close to what Cincy Fear was playing, but they were also providing housing on top of that rather than having yeah. the payers play for it. And, you know, that's substantial savings in and of itself. So, you know, if we use that as the metric instead of the Cincy Fear wages, that makes this all look a lot better. Now, I don't know if that could be the case for every team, but that's, I, that's, that's raised my that. optimism a bit. I think that another pathway that we will inevitably have to talk about is going to be collegiate, but I want to actually do this kind of weird elaborative thing and give what is a pretty micro look at what playing in a foreign country could potentially look like for aspiring pros. 
if you enter into the academy system, uh, say somewhere in Europe, there is a good chance that you find yourself in a region where you are compelled to learn a pretty marketable and valuable language that honestly can be a huge boon to a career outside of professional league if you find yourself either not able to make it to the tier one either back in na or somewhere else you know internationally um and from there there's a lot of ways by which you can you know at least forge yourself a pretty clean future i know that even without a college degree i have friends that have through just being strongly bilingual by virtue of living in another country have found themselves like good roles that then allow for them to go back to college on company dime stuff like that and get themselves into a comfortable place in life i think that we emphasize collegiate a lot right now um and there's obviously issues with collegiate as like a clear path to pro i think it's more hedging your bets towards finding the future outside of the realm of league of legends but there is still a way for you to walk the line and there's still a way for you to set up for your future by moving outside of the u.s and trying to set up for you know a career while also really vying for a high level of competition and beyond that being bilingual um picking up a language is going to make you more marketable for multiple markets <laughs> in terms of uh, teams that you could play for right either be it spanish or portuguese something like that um arabic another big one i uh shout outs to all of the people that were running uh the amateur casts for the arab league and everybody that's been a fan of that stuff on twitter it's the only thing that keeps me connected to that language it's the only time i read any amount of content in arabic so i'm happy that it continues to exist on twitter and elsewhere it's a pretty good alternative to think about and as someone that has been promoting the idea of them going to latin america particularly lla not civil law because it's another language entirely to mine it's not it's not that weird, but it's still Portuguese, not Spanish, so it's not like I understand it 100%. And that's kind of why I'm prompting more DLA, but the idea is kind of the same. Like, I would say, I particularly feel like the best choice for North American players should be, or at least the, uh, in, in an idea of mine, is to come here to Latin America. Because honestly, it's a much easier path, or at least mine, it's much easier path towards being able to achieve what you want to do that is probably going towards you have less time to dedicate to that because really I, I expect at least half of the NA players to be able to get into any roster in the LLA. There's already quite a few import, uh, uh, Korean imports, so I'm pretty sure that they would be willing to take North American imports, especially because they are closer to the language than the Korean ones anyway, and they would be willing to take the imports. And if you're good enough, you get a straight spot towards like, they, it's something that it's important to realize. The teams are not that good. So as long as you're good enough, you are going to be able to get towards Worlds. And if you're able to get to Worlds, you don't only get practice time against the best teams in the world, you get a better showcase of your skill towards the world. So any teams will buy the fact that, hey, he played in Worlds, we should get him. Just cause. Because any teams are like that. <laughs> TDS, I feel that you should probably hope we never become the South Mine, as it were, because given the amount of things you've said about Latin American League, be it via Bajani and Saranac, or be it what you're saying right now, I feel like the crowd's going to have it out for you, man, if we go back there. I'm Latin, I'm Latin American. I'm accustomed to fighting against every fucking <laughs> country here. Oh, we had a, we, everyone, everyone hates each other over here, but we hate on everyone that hates South America, so... Very good. Very good. Uh, yeah, I mean, if it has to get to that point, it has to get to that point. I do really think the, you know, obviously the goal would be 
to keep a development pipeline alive in North America um, via the NACL. Um, before we get into the collegiate pipeline discourse, which I'm sure we're, we're excited to do, I, I think like a preface on this and, you know, that some... I, I I don't I, I it's easy to write them all off as European fans, uh, but I'm sure there's there's some amount of of folks elsewhere and folks who might actually just be ignorant on the situation as the ACL viewership isn't that high, um, but you know an argument that always comes up in these kinds of situations is like are the North American players just not good enough right in the in the face of declining uh, server population and game popularity can North America actually even produce players who would be able to be competitive at this level? Um, and, you know, it's kind of even baked into, when, not to call you out, Yarko, but when, uh, you know, when Yarko says things like, if we're willing to, to sacrifice competing internationally um, and, and peel back on imports and go for domestic talent instead, um, you know, kind of baked into that is this impression that the North American talent um, is going to be across the board worse and won't be able to be competitive and to that i kind of push back against um namely outside of you know very specific examples in europe and china where they have risen to prominence uh off the back of yes they've used imports and and still use imports to this day but they have integrated their own rookie pipelines and those have been critical to them being able to find their higher degree of international success um but I also think, you know, there's there's a lot of evidence points in North America itself and just undeniable phenomenon that point to the fact that North America does have talent here and it's the orgs that have consistently failed to find it. I will just quickly say that if the like there's no the argument that North America it's better importing talent to try and combat the Asian talent is kind of whack when you consider the kind of talent that they have been importing. Like, yes, you've imported some really good players, but you've also imported some really wacky players in general. Like, China imports Deft Ruler. We import Quit. And nothing against Quit, but like, the difference is quite monumental when you're comparing the the players that you're importing. If you're going to import, at least try and import equal skill level, not no not still below level to the ones that you're going against. It makes no sense in that in that way. Just play with the same players that you already had in your region. It just makes no sense that you're importing lesser players, really. Two real quick points. One of them a question. One of them a clarification. I'll do the latter first. When I was saying that. If NA just doesn't care at all about international success right now, I think that the system is fine. What I mean to say is that I think that NA talent always has had international potential. There is no reason to think outside of maybe a few structural concerns like ping that we are just producing broadly worse players or players with lacking potential versus the rest of the world. What I kind of meant more was that if you just let the NACL go to the buy and buy, and you just kind of grab willy-nilly when you need to fill a roster slot that can't be imported in, um, it doesn't really matter at that point what the talents level of your players are, unless you're looking in comparison to other LCS teams, because all you want at that point is domestic success, which is, you know, kind of a bit toxic, and I hope that's not the case, but 
I frankly can see that as the business plan for some LCS orgs right now in, in the next few years, especially. So th that's kind of where I'm at on that front. You know, I, I love our NA talent. You know, I, I get perpetually frustrated, especially MSI and international competitions in general, where it just feels like we're getting absolutely shellacked and that I make a few grumpy tweets that, you know, you could definitely indict me on. But, you know, on the whole, in the abstract, there's a reason why I continue to watch NACL and cheer for it, right? Uh, the second thing is a question as kind of more of an NA League neophyte than you guys are, as someone who basically really watched LCK because of my terrible sleep schedule uh, up until this last NACL season. But, like, uh, going off of what TDS says, is there just something wrong with, like, talent scouting in NA? Like, be it either for imports or for who they choose to move up to the LCS proper? Because it, it does feel that we always kind of get the short end of the stick in regards to the calls that we make in terms of who we try to pull in. The Piosic uh, import is one that I'm thinking of very cleanly right now. But also beyond that, just a matter of what, what's going on from like NACL or Academy before that up until LCS. Do you guys have any good examples or things to bring up on that? Front? I'll let TDS go first because he looks like he's going to explode. <laughs> yeah, because I was going to bring up, like, I want, and before everyone comments on me, or if there's anyone that would comment on me, and that we bring Pioshik, we bring Crown, World Champions. Yeah, you pick the worst part of the World Champions. <laughs> you pick the worst players out of the World Championship roster. That's, like, yeah, go near call. Continue my point. No, that, that, but you're making the exact point. It's like, why are we bringing in uh, past World Champions rather than bringing in future World Champions as... China did with Deft, for instance, and obviously he didn't do it via China, but I think it's just like, it feels like we never really bring in young talent, and I maybe it's well, just confirmation bias, but I always do get confused by what we do on the international stage, and who we pull internationally. Yeah, so that's the thing. I think that there's been attempts at actually doing things right in a very weird manner, and I think it's indirectly from actually trying to do the right thing. Once again, Bringing Pyoshik and Crown probably not the best choices when you're bringing the worst part out of the World Championship rosters. If you brought Seika, that's a whole nother story because you're bringing the best part. He didn't shine through the, this last blade. He, ha he has complications. Okay, but that was quite obviously the best part. But you're bringing the worst part of the rosters. There's already questionable parts here. There. Then we can jump onto the Sundays, the impacts of the league that, yeah, they shine through. But they, they like that. That's where you have to take the extra lookout into why they may be shining more in NA, and that's because historically, any top laners are not that great. So anyway, you're putting a, a a good player. I'm not saying they're bad players. A good player into a horrible role in a in a in a region. Then it, it's pretty obvious that they are going to shine because once they go international, they are not bad, but they are not the parts that you can shine through because they are not going to be better than their counterparts. Like it's been really prominent in a lot of stages. This is just a very quick editorial, vaguely related to what we're talking about up until this point. If any and any talent scouts have looked at the LCK right now, I do not understand how they are like lining up several million dollars to recruit Bulldog as soon as his contract is over. Or like players like that, 18 year olds, as good as like a lot of the talent we have in NA could make a huge impact this is beside the point though uh you know broadly don't import bulldog uh, don't import anyone i, I want to see uh, you know development of na talent but if you are import people like that man he was blowing my mind this last lck lck split yeah, yeah. so bulldog start home. yeah so i a couple of questions and yeah i have a lot of stuff to say on this point 
Uh, so thank you for asking the question, Yarko. On the first thing, I think there has been a push recently and, and even in the past sometimes to try to get younger foreign talent. Um, Prince pretty young, Vikla and his sophomore split, um, you know, Berserker and now Quid uh, coming directly out of the Academy Leagues, having never even played games in LCK. Um, played some. What was that? Played one. When Quid did? When played top laner, he played mid lane. Oh, I did in, not know that. I think DRX... Two or, or like two years ago, DRX or Genji, maybe. Either way, either way, played very little, played very very little. Yeah. Uh, if at all, very would good. would still be classified as rookies. Um, yeah. And I don't know, it, like to me, just thinking about thinking about the world as it is, right? No rule changes, never cutting off imports, you know, not blah 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 blah. blah. The uh, that makes almost even less sense to me, just in the sense that. I, my philosophy, if I were to be a GM, my philosophy would be you should start with the North American talent, right? You should, you should take like a CLG-esque approach, right? You should start with best domestic player available in every position or best academy player available in every position. And yes, they had Luger who wasn't domestic, but neither here nor there. Uh, work at that until you get your core of native talent. And then once you have the core of native talent rounded out with proven imports who are going to be better than their counterparts in the LCS. Like, that's the approach that I would take to try to turn a team around and, and make progress and, and have a competitive roster, right? Whereas I do feel like the majority of these teams, after years and years and years of import-first GMing, like, I think you just sit down in the offseason and the first question on the table is, we got two import slots, how are we using them? And I, I think that's just a completely backwards approach to building these teams. But going back to Nyarko's question on does NA have a scouting problem, I think undoubtedly NA has a scouting problem, uh, particularly towards its own players, but also more in general. Like, I do really think that, like, it, there's a systemic bias against North American talent within the LCS, which kind of sounds crazy to say about a North American league, but... I think it's just been the case and the assumption underlying so much of the discourse and so much of performances and so much of how teams build rosters for so long that North American talent is just inferior to imported talent that I think, you know, I don't think there's any individuals out there who are just like, I hate North Americans. I don't want them on my team, but I think it underlies the psychology of a lot of this decision-making and I think I have really like I have two primary arguments for why I believe it's a scouting issue and not like an actual talent existing issue, right? Um, number one, and and I think I thank Peter Dunn every day for giving me this uh, <laughs> because he did give me this, and it's Peter Dunn in twenty twenty two evil geniuses like. I don't, un like, that's, it's so undeniable to me, man. It's like, this guy who's world, the best talent scout in the West, famous for being a great talent scout in Brazil and Europe and finding all of these generations of great players, comes to North America on a mid-tier organization and within two years wins a championship with two North American teenagers is that like a, is that a coincidence man like these just came these dudes just appeared randomly at the same exact time on the same exact team on this org that just happened to hire a great talent scout like 
obviously, like, Danny came straight out of amateur, man. These guys had been old, like, JoJo Pune was brought onto EG Academy as soon as he was 16, but, like, Danny had been old enough to be in Academy already and was getting skipped over before he was brought onto Evil Geniuses. It's like, obviously, other orgs did not see these guys. And I'm, I have no doubt that there's other players just like them. And, and, you know, and now Peter Dunn is back in Europe, like, retweeting the copy retirement, advocating for North American players to go to Europe, because he knows the talent exists, he's seen it firsthand, and he knows that the orgs are the problem. Like, that's, that's evidence point number one, and really should be enough on its own. Uh, evidence point number two, though, is, is, like, against the volume of talent, that kind of argument, is, is Oceania, man. Like, Oceania is... 10% the size of North America server size wise. They have like two and a half million accounts. North America has like 25 million accounts, something like that. Uh, there are, their server is so much smaller than North America's. And yet we get Fudge and FBI and Ayla and Harry and Lost and Rioma and Destiny and Rays all since 2020 in like three years. And it's like, how is this region 10% of our size producing so many LCS players, man? Where are the 80 players that LCS should have gotten from North America at the same time they got these eight players from Oceania? It it just doesn't make sense, dude. There's there it's just undeniable to me that there's the the numbers, Mason, they don't make sense. <laughs> it's, it, there has to be more talent sitting in North America that we are just either underserving in our development or missing in our scouting. Well, I think that technically after knowing the debacle that happened on EG, it's pretty much understandable why orcs are so useless and so counterproductive mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Just because, like, just based on that story, I can see why they are so counterproductive in so many ways. And thinking about the what you were bringing up with the talent, the bias against North American talent inside of North America, makes me think of uh, like a par a perfect parallel in the complete opposite uh, in football is the over appreciation of Brazilian talent in, <laughs> in football, particularly. Like, yeah, and I'm by the way, I'm a huge Brazil fan. I'm. Like, I, I'd rather support, or I'd rather know, I've always supported Brazil more so than my own country football. Because I love that, that I love Brazilian football team 100% more than my own country. That being said, there's a super overvalue of Brazilian players over players of any other country. And they pay, and they are more searched, they are more paid, they are more looked at than any other. And there's a pretty big skip over talent from other parts, I think even from Colombia, for Brazilian players that are mediocre at best. Just cause of Brazilian name. And I think that's that kind of happens with Korea in League of Legends. And then there's a complete ignoring uh, the, the ignoring part of over NA. I think it's just because NA is no not successful. And I think it's just complete it makes complete or it doesn't make sense since they haven't even tried to try and look out for that talent when it once happened already, like you're pointing out, champions. But it's not only champions, it's that they try to provide for those players around an intelligence system that can work in North America. And it also goes hand in hand with the fact that if you bring subpar players from other parts, they are not going to deliver much better than just the North American players because North American players are not, are not handless. Like they are not idiots, they are not bad. They simply don't get the chance 
And if you're going to waste your chances like that, I think it makes no sense from the North American side. Yeah, like, I, I think there's a huge history of, like, you know, I, people like to think of every team as being, like, siloed. But I think, you know, there are, there are fads and there are patterns that develop in how yeah. teams build rosters that is like and you know this is both because of staff moving around and just you know other people picking up on what they see like it's it's undeniable that this stuff happens right like go go to the wiki and go and look at what lcs and lec are you know eu lcs at the time uh and all that those rosters look like over the years from like 2014 2015 2016 like full korean exodus era um and like notice how it goes from like oh you know we could we could maybe get a korean player or two here this makes sense to oh these teams are being pretty good with two koreans maybe we should try out some koreans to like all right who are your two koreans this year like it, it just happens so quickly uh and you know the same thing with like you look at like minor region talent in north america right like it started with broken blade and and fbi and closer and then after that it's like newbie and jose diodo and all this stuff starts happening in the course of like a year like there's people mimic what they see on other orgs and it results in these trends and i think the trend has consistently for almost the entirety of north american history been away from north american talent with the only maybe exception being this past year where last year eg is successful with two north american rookies and suddenly what are hundred thieves and team liquid doing oh they're promoting two domestic two rookies from their own academy programs yeah harry's australian but still uh like they're promoting their own rookies and building around these two developmental people like it's happening again this time maybe a little bit in favor of north america but it's just it's not been wide, large scale enough. So I think that we've hit quite a bit upon the talent scouting, and I love the 101 course for sure. Um, at the same time, though, I do want to kind of look at another part of the NA talent pipeline that I've already alluded to quite a bit. I am absolutely addicted to getting content for because, hey, you know, I'm going to be moving into this space relatively soon. I guess this is the coming out party, but I want to talk about Collegiate um, because one of the tweets that stuck with me the most after the first wave of discourse came out regarding these NACL changes was something that Columber said, which was something along the lines of, if you think that Collegiate is a good pathway to develop uh, NA talent. Uh, I have a bridge to sell you. And I love Colomer. I think that he has a good point here. But here's the thing. I think that this is actually a great opportunity for CELOL or at least Collegiate League, even outside of the CELOL system, to develop in a way that gets us to the point where they are actually a viable path to pro. If things have to fall apart and we have to see this shift away from the NACL, this is the time for my favorite system, the system I wanted to see enacted, if you go check past episodes, uh, to actually come swing in and be a contributing factor to the pathway to pro in NA. There are still big gaps in how exactly this is going to function. I am 100% certain that there are going to be growing pains, and not beyond that, there's also the issue of like age that people going into collegiate are a little bit older than I think one ought be when they start out down the path to pro. But as a whole, I'm really looking forward to seeing where CLO goes from here. And I have a few suggestions, but I don't know. TDS, you got your finger up. I want to hear the gut reaction at first about what's going on when I say CLO. Yeah, like the thing with me 
is that I think, uh, and and this is the, I started the program saying I'm neither pessimistic nor optimistic. I'm just in between. I think I'm a hundred percent pessimistic on that part. And I think Ooh. it's completely impossible for it to work out. If I'm honest, particularly for, well, not one reason, but because, and, and you brought it up, it's the H part, but it's not only the H part necessarily only on the any ecosystem. It's the H part because no, and no one in the world does that. So the fact of the matter is that now you're kind of closing out the the range for players to go towards the pro. Meanwhile, there's a 16-year-old in Korea that is available already to go pro right now, and you can take it from a from a CL team that has already played CL, and he's 16-year-olds. Meanwhile, there's a college player that just graduated, 23 years old. You're going to take the 16 years old because in esports there's still the stigma of age, but also you can mold the 16 year old much easier than a 23 year old. That's just that's just simple logic because you're much more moldable when you're younger than when you're older. It's just simple, simply how it is. So I think that that's something that play that orgs will look more into. That 16 year old Korean 80 carry that it looks like a, an amazing talent, looks much more promising than a 23 year old out of college. And I think that that's just simply a system that will never work out. Compared to normal sports, it works in an A because an A is a closed space. NFL, NBA, uh, MLB are closed spaces in and of itself. And when you bring players from other parts, they are around the same age, 25 to 26 years old. I don't, I'm not sure if they are a bit younger, but they are not younger than, I think, 18 or 20 years old. They are all around the same age. Meanwhile, in football, which is the, the space that I compared to, uh, to the general low landscape, 16-year-olds are debuting. And you have to be 16 year olds because if not, you're already kind of old for a lot of people. And that's kind of the stigma that grows around things. That's why I don't think collegiate is going to work because that is going to always be a competition that you're losing out because the world is open. Isn't there space for both paths, though? I think that especially as we do see some of these foundational pros in League of Legends get older and older and still have very successful careers... I think that we will be seeing a shift away from 16-year-olds being the only people who are able to make it to the highest level of competition, especially in America. I don't want to lean too heavily upon the kind of fatalist attitude that I started off this episode with when I said, you know, maybe we just don't care about international competition, and therefore a lot of different plans work for how the LCS wants to function. But I'll go back to it one more time. If it is the case that we don't care that much about international competition... And we also want to have a thriving player base that is at least intent upon trying to find a pathway to the LCS because they love competition and they want to play League of Legends professionally. And therefore, we need to find the most sustainable system by which we enable the most people in the future to enter into this pipeline. Isn't it the case that we can have both 16-year-olds that are directly scouted by teams if they show that kind of meteoric talent while also having a robust collegiate ecosystem for some of these players to be picked up when they're like, you know, 19 20 years old remember they don't have to be in college the full time we could have them drop out if they wanted to or like take a break from college to go play professionally but i think that this is a source of free money free funding free support in a lot of ways for us to see a rise of this kind of like new breed of competitor new breed of player right and furthermore i think that a robust collegiate realm also allows for us to 
give back to the players what they have put into league in a lot of ways it can in a way be the new retirement home of lcs if you want to go you want to go compete at like a seal or like one of these other like leagues right like nace egf something like that and you want to compete you want to win um you know go there after your academy days are over your nacl days are over your lcs days are over even get yourself a degree continue to play league you know up until you hit like 29 years old and you at least you can then enter the workforce with another job that you're hopefully just as passionate about rather than us just having nothing for these guys right and having no recourse for the people who might try to make it pretty deep along the pathway but never quite touch the lcs and i think it's a like I don't want to rebuke it because even though I'm more ingrained with the, the system that I previously from football, like logically speaking, it's a way better pathway to go college, be able to t to have a career so that you have a backup plan from sports because sports are not a, a long-term career. And, well, technically they are, but playing, playing sports, playing them is not a long-term career. It's a then being a part of it, it can be. But also from the from the perspective of how sports work out and things like that, like I don't think it's a viable option for what I said previously. Also the fact that, and this is one of my main points always when I compare uh, American sports to every other part, is that if I have a, uh, if I'm competing not only against the ones from my age, but I'm competing against the younger the younger generation that is coming up like three years younger than me i'm 24 and someone 21 is coming up immediately well that's not a perfect example because i'm way older to be a sport already a football player but i'm 18 and a 15 year old is coming on my back looks like a potential uh, a potential superstar player coming through and can just uh, stab me on the back and take my place that already creates so much competition that you have to be on your toes every time be ready to be the best on the collegiate system, I think it's fine, but you're always competing against essentially your same age or really close and you will have time to develop because they are willing to give you the time after you're able to get out of college. So you're going to get a good opportunity, a good chance. That's not the case in football. And I think that's not the case in League of Legends. I think that orcs will always prioritize, maybe not winning internationally, but winning LCS any, at least to a certain degree. And the best players for that are typically the younger ones that are malleable, that are able to get towards the next step that collegiate players maybe are going to take a bit longer. And then I also think that even though the system from collegiate may end up turning out to be one of the better choices, I then also think it doesn't even have to be Korean. Like, you go look at the 16-year-old, let's say, uh, Argentinian prodigy in the LLA that's going to take half of your salary to be able to bring him there, and it's going to provide us an equal or slightly lower level than the any player but you're still willing to take him because the college the collegiate player values his future a bit more i think you take the the, the argentinian player because he is costs less is younger and is willing to just go there to get a chance i think th those are really things that are not going to work in that sort of ecosystem because they are they're simply younger players that are all over the world that are willing to take the chance and that they can take the chance because they are 16 year old and the league permits it well, I, I do think really quick that I, you need to keep the the um, the import question like in mind, right, for any of these proposed okay. solutions, right? Because I think you can't just open it up to be able to get any Korean player you want uh, or, you know, I think all this crumbles and I think then we just become like what StarCraft eventually struggled with, right, where it's just Koreans leaving Korea to try to qualify from other leagues and... 
I don't think that's sustainable long term for for fandom. I also oh just just quickly, I also think that LCS kind of shot itself in the foot with relegation. Not because like being able to stay permanent is bad or anything like that, or relegation is the best choice, but I think it took away the the way that fans thought around LCS. Because with relegation, and this is something that also happens once again in football, that at least fans have something to be excited about, even if you don't win. Because you have relegation in mind, so you can say like, okay, we are not the best team, but we didn't get relegated. So that's something to be happy about, something to be excited about, something to look forward to. But since the only thing that you have right now is essentially winning LCS and going international, or, or not winning LCS, but going international, when it doesn't happen, fans really don't care. They, they don't care in general. You don't have either the fact that for NBA and NFL and things like that, they have localized teams, right? Like they have city teams. So you at least have that pride or that desire for your city to do good. But even if they don't, you still watch them because it's your city. It's the place you're in. It's the place that you learn to be a fan of. That's not a thing in LCS either. So like the excitement for LCS is just really on win because they force themselves to be on that part. There's nothing else to really be excited about when you really think about it. I'm not going to say that's a damning indictment, but I get what TDS is saying, right? I get what he's putting down here. Um, I do want to quickly pivot back and give a few points that I had on the Seelaw side of things before we can transition over, I think, back to an umbrella view to close us out. Um, yep. Because, like I said, I'm a big fan of this, and I also need to shore up my future in this industry. <laughs> um, <laughs> look, me too, here, man. I'm moving into Seelaw this season, to. too. Let's do it. Yeah, let's honestly, let's, let's secure ourselves some fucking jobs. Oh, shout-outs? Shout-outs from... <laughs> um, here's, here's what I'll say. Once again, I go back to saying that we can straddle both pathways where you have young meteoric talent getting their chance at the tier two level or the LCS level itself, while also simultaneously trying to shore up Seelaw. I mean, we already have a clear way by which we can see a balancing act between these two things. It's by having collegiate teams qualify to the NACL, right? Um, and I think that while it isn't necessary for you to do so and i honestly would love to see scouts look outside of Merrillville, right or these colleges that are right at the top of necl contention and look at some of these more developing organizations at colleges um that's probably a little bit more of a pipe dream right uh what i'm going to say is going to turn back i think towards the collegiate crowd the people right now who are kind of working in this realm the insight that i have from the places that i've been able to talk to that i am looking to work at and i will hold off names for now until you know I have a official announcement to be made. Um, it seems to me like there is tons of money hanging that simply needs to be accounted for and argued for. And one of the most potent arguments I could possibly see is success at the NACE level, the NECC level, or like the EGF level. If you have teams being competitive in these leagues that aren't even like the top tier leagues. Yeah. There's some challenger teams, but you do not have to be challenger material to make it. Um, or if you just make it to the top 32 of sea law, most people see this in light of traditional sports, where if you're top 32 in the country at a sport like football, you are going to get tons of money thrown your way with there being so much in the budget with there being younger and younger people working in school administration as like vice provosts and you have younger people working as donors i think that there is a way in which you can get funding under you to then 
figure out how seal all is going to go in the future maybe the vision that i have for it is not what's going to come through but the fact of the matter is there is a way for us to coax these massively rich institutions to at least give us the ability to experiment and try to make something work here because if we cannot provide the clearest and cleanest pathway forward to the professional League of Legends world, I really want to give something to the people who are at least aspiring in that pipeline. And the best thing that I can offer them right now is hopefully the pathway to get a college degree and to find some other place in the world, right? Because for me, that's the thing that breaks my heart the most about the most recent NACL announcement. The number of people who are out of a job, but I don't really know if they have a somewhere to go i hope that they're going to be able to find some kind of plan going forward but at the same time that's all up in the air right now and i really wish that there was more of a fallback yep i i fall in the middle of uh of the future of sea law i mean i i could see it working out i'm not quite as pessimistic as tds um i will just say that you know taking the CLL teams in nacl approach um I think we're just very far away from that is my only concern because, you know, yes, Maryville is there, but, um, you know, for those who don't follow the NACLQ circuit very much, like not only is Maryville the only collegiate team like making the promotion tournament, Maryville is the only collegiate team making like top 16 to even play in the tournament proper. Like they're the only collegiate teams making it past the Swiss stage. Um, and, you know, like, California, Irvine, and St. Clair can, like, come close-ish, but, and I mean, even then, right, like, then, will they still be coming close next year? Who's really to say, right? There's a kind of a rotation in and out, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, it was, um, uh, who's the, who's the school with Quas on it that Bajani and Saranac played for? Bay uh, State, like, a couple, Bay you State, know, yeah. like, last year it was, like, it was Bay State was that team, as well as Maryville, who was able to, like, kind of make real runs, um, and, you know, it was, it was Winthrop University after that, right, and, like, there's colleges that kind of, the rest, other than Maryville, kind of come and go, and even then are never quite as good as Maryville, it seems, so, I think there would need to be other more permanent players to get us to that position. Although I would, I, I would love to see that. All right. Well, before we close out here, just wanted to talk a little bit about it is May 16th, Tuesday night at the time we're recording this teams have to make their final decisions about whether they're keeping NACL by tomorrow Orgs that have dropped so far, officially announced, are TSM and Immortals. Um, we also have, I would say, a pretty credible leak that Dignitas has dropped theirs. Um, there's some tweets from Hoon that seem to imply he has been dropped. Um, There's nothing official yet. Yeah, nothing official. Like, the Players Association has not condemned Dignitas the way they've condemned TSM and Immortals. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's where most of this news is coming out. Like, these orgs are not making posts that they're dropping at ACL. It's the Players Association coming out to dunk on them. Um, they have not dunked on that's Dignitas yet. I really just wanted to pull up the LCSPA tweet that just goes adding every single organization will any of you commit to staying in the nacl that is beautiful and credit to where credit's due to them um i know there's like rumblings of a strike i kind of wish that we get to talk about like that side of things um or at least there was advocacy for a strike i don't know if it's actually possible for unionization to work the way that i think a lot of people on twitter are envisioning it but Certainly, it is the case that there's still people. There's people. They got shooters, you know. They got people gunning for them. Yeah, 
I I'm wish it helped. With one thing. I'm kind of curious with one thing because I'm not sure how those strikes work, but is if they do go into strike, is it actually like realistic to think that LCS has a backup plan for players if they go into strike? There's not, right? Like there's no players that are going to take their place if they go into strike, so the strike could work out, right? Yeah, I mean like the scabs would like that's the funny thing, right? Is because in theory, all the NACL players should also be on strike. Like, but who would the yeah, scabs so... be? The scabs are going to be like Grandmasters players. Like, Maniac One V Nine is going to be on the LCS stage. Like, you know, they're gonna they're gonna run out of talent real fast. So, so it could technically work out since there's essentially no any talent that you can play because you don't want to have any more any talent. The any talent that you have is going to strike. Guess what? You don't have talent then. Just to throw out a note here, if production also goes on strike, uh, you can find my email very easily, is all I'll oh, say. Darko! Yes. <laughs> solidarity, I'm sorry, man. solidarity! Crap! I'm not crossing the picket line! No! I'm Latin American, and this absolutely has nothing to do with Latin America, but I'm jumping on that boat as soon as I can. Guys. <sighs> Alright. Well, anyway. Uh, with those orgs having dropped... Uh, I, I do also want to throw out just I have one more angle that hasn't really been discussed that much. Um, and it is on these three orgs specifically, right? This is an argument that perhaps I can only make today because tomorrow there will be more orgs and I won't have so many good examples. Um, yeah. These it's it's funny to me that these are the orgs that have most recently and most actively used their NACL teams to benefit their LCS teams. And they are the teams to drop uh like and i just want to say it like as staff and players on the lcs portions of these organizations it is just going to be miserable to be on these orgs now even more so than before from a competitive standpoint um which i think is kind of going under address like i do it, it's funny right because we do all this posturing about how great na talent could be and how many opportunities are missed talking about like these hypothetical one in a million players but you know for for tsm immortals and dignitas no i think dropping these teams makes these orgs worse right now mm-hmm. like because look at like this last season right because now when your rookie spawn isn't working out when your mid ablaze olive retires out of nowhere when your coach Chowie wants to be strategic and flexible and run a six or seven man roster, swapping out bot laners and supports like he has for the last couple splits, now you can't do that. Now those options are gone. So the very few moves that these teams could make to try to get better, those avenues have now been cut off for those teams. Um, so I mean, the LCS portions of these organizations are are if even if believe it or not are going are about to get worse like because they're the teams that need these nacl teams they're the teams that were most actively utilizing these nacl teams you know i think the worst part about all of this is gordo we don't get that many storied theory of the five-man roster swap for dignitas from uh nacl to lcs you know we also don't get to see the seventh the seventh top laner in seven splits for immortals it's dead it ends here I'm glad it's not ADD. I'm not gonna lie. I guess it's solo. Solo is the seventh top laner. <laughs> Seven uh, splits. A uh, true. I'm kind of 
like I'm, I'm not against the fact that well technically you can kind of think it as they think that it's going to be easier to replace their roster because you can just go to one of the non-affiliated SES orgs and buy them out much cheaper technically i would say that's that's a that's a belief that they probably have no i actually think that and while that might be true i also i don't even think they're thinking about that i think like the decision to drop an acl is like coming from leadership and i think the decisions to make like these like i think the guy who tells dignitas like who runs dignitas and says i don't want this nacl team anymore i don't want that expense and the guy who said okay spawn is is doing rough let's swap in tomo i think those are different guys i think the latter guy is like way more committed to trying to be competitive yeah, giving them than too the much first guy in all honesty yeah I'm probably giving them so i think like the, I, yeah so like i think the yeah I, I think the first guy has now cut that option off for the second guy um you know the the owner has now cut off that option from the coach and now the coach who still, you know, in theory wants to be good and wants to have a good career and be thought of as a successful coach, uh, he just has less options available to him now. He's just had his resources well, cut even further. You can kind of technically see as the coach taking on the challenge. If I can sure, make this LCS roster win, then I'm that Like coaching coach. Dignitas wasn't already <laughs> enough of a challenge, man. Exactly. They're just making it harder for themselves. It, it's all it's all part of the plan to showcase that Dignitas actually is just such a shitty orc that the coach did everything and he's an amazing <laughs> coach. That That's the true plan. It also technically could be the three orcs that go away next year. When you think about it as well. I do want to note really quick, because I got bored talking about Dignitas. I'm just kidding. You guys have wonderful <laughs> banter. You guys should totally listen to, you know, every episode of The Might if you guys haven't looked back at our backlog. Uh, but no, I was uh, checking Twitter really quick while we were recording, and it looks like Team Liquid has just uh, released a video where they're committing at least for the rest of this year to NACL. So that's okay. one team not dropping. Uh, I, I'll applaud that if you can hear it. Yeah. <laughs> we should transition this to like a live stream where we just stay up for the next 24 48 hours as <laughs> team is make their announcements back to back to back uh we could move it over to the uh salt mine live stream on twitch that we should probably get back up and running again uh follow that as well we're just plugging everything tonight absolutely maybe we'll live stream future episodes we'll figure that out <laughs> well, technically team liquid had, had be it was one of the teams that actually committed to making their players be noticed and actually push them up or down if they if they saw potential in them so i'm only for i thought team liquid could do a lot and i'm glad that they are staying they already showcased that they were willing to commit to their team even though they brought pioshik i will just lay that out, lay that down they brought pioshik willingly but they at least brought in players that are capable uh, youngsters that are capable well, I think that's about going to do it. I think those are all of our thoughts. Shout out to Team Liquid for being the first one to reaffirm their commitment. I don't think they'll be the only one. I think there will be a few more orgs that will. I hope for C9. Reaffirm. Yeah. yeah, like I think I think C9 is likely. I think Golden Guardians, FlyQuest, and 100 Thieves are moderately likely. I think EG is definitely gone. And I think NRG is like the wild card. So, we no, the wild card's like the wild card. Come on. Well, wild card is like the wild card. But <laughs> wild card, uh, wild card. I'll I'll get make a call right here. I think wild card is in the NACL for summer. I'll tell Whoa. you that much. Yeah. <laughs> I would love if NRG is one of the teams that that decides to stay because I do think that that could bring at least good publicity to them. 
like, look, mm -hmm. we are still, even though we're new, we want to try and prove any talent is worth it. Even if it's completely fake and I would not believe that, at least on the outside, it looks good. And I think that would be a lot, it would be good for any fans to know that at least an org fakely cares. Yep. All right. Well, that went just a little over an hour, and that will do it for our show. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I know it's a tough time. Excited to come back with Season 2 of The Salt Mine. We'll have new assets. We'll maybe be live-streamed. At the very least, we'll have a video portion on YouTube. Um, I'm going to do some other housekeeping stuff. I'm going to get us some intros and outros and, and things like that. We're going we're gonna to up our production value a little bit for this next split. And we will see you guys for power rankings before it gets started once we know what this crazy league is going to look like. Uh, but until then, we've appreciated y'all listening, and we will see you next time.